So we're doing Colossians today. So Matt did a great job of doing Colossians 1. So I pick up on Colossians 2. So if you've got your device with you or your Bible, you know those things that tended to come in black leather. So um, you could open it up to Colossians and we'll start reading. And I'm starting from verse 6 from chapter 2. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. That's like theology 101 right there. You, are, you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Sounds a tad painful, doesn't it? Um, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying that they have had visions about these things. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may actually seem wise because they require um, strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. So that's Colossians 2. A lot to unpack, and it's a, there's a whole lot in there. I am really just picking up on the first few verses where it talks about build your life on him, let your roots grow deep in him, and continue in Christ. And um, I was thinking about this when Jacinda and I caught up for a drink, a few, coffee that was, actually. <laughs> actually, it wasn't even coffee. It was what I mean, kombucha, and um, and not that I'd tried that before, and I'm probably not going to try it again. But um, we were when we were talking about these sorts of things, we were saying, um, how do you continue with Jesus, and how do you do this life of faith? And she asked me this question. She said to me, Lee, think about all the people that you started off faith with, but are no longer following Jesus. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I just had all these names pop into my head. 
And the first one was this very precious friend of mine who had, as a non-Christian and about 16 years old, just decided for the hang of it to go up to a Christian camp up in Northland. She came from no Christian background whatsoever. And she came back radically saved. That was her words, not mine, because that made no sense to me. But, um, you know, and she talked about Jesus and how Jesus was real. And it wasn't that her words made sense, but her life changed. And I could see it. And I thought, man, I want to get a load of that. And so she led me basically into faith with Jesus. And I watched her life. She went off to youth with a mission. So she did missionary stuff. And then she um, got married. And I just watched her. And I thought, man, when I grow up, I want to be a bit like her. But if you talk to her today, there's no conversations about Jesus. It's really actually quite sad. And it's like the elephant in the room, one of those awkward things. The next person who came to mind when Jacinda said this to me was a guy I went to um, school with. In year 13, there was a bunch of Christians together. And I remember walking into the common room one day full of a cold. And, um, and, and he said, Lee, what are you doing with a cold? You're a Christian. You're supposed to claim the victory in Jesus' name. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what does that mean? But anyway, I'm, and whilst I don't actually believe that kind of theology, his zeal and enthusiasm for God was just so obvious. He just loved God. And he went to this Pentecostal church, which made me feel a bit afraid, and they did weird things. But, you know, he just really loved God. I ran into him at Sky City at a conference. <laughs> A health and safety conference, to be clear. <laughs> a health and safety conference at Sky City with ACC, okay? So there was no booze, all right? All right. So, um, and I just happened to see him across the room. And, um, and I thought, oh, crikey, that's Mike from, um, from Martinborough. Because I grew up in the Wairapa, and I didn't expect to see him in Auckland. And um, I just said, oh, how's life, Mike? And he was telling me he was married now, and he had kids and all that stuff. And I said, oh, what church are you going to? And he said to me, I don't really do that anymore, Lee. What is it that happens in life that stops us growing our roots down into Jesus and continuing with him? Why is it so hard? Is it the disappointments, the disillusionments, the marriages that fall over, the bankruptcies, the redundancies, you know, or the broken promises. Why is it so hard? Is it a bit like the Barclay Marathon? Have you ever heard of the Barclay Marathon? I was introduced to this, not that I've done it, a few, a few, a few months ago by a friend of mine who's going to do the New Zealand version of it. The Barclay Marathon is described as 60 hours of hell. And what it is, it's an ultra-marathon race um, done in the mountains, I can't remember, in Tennessee, up in the in the um, snowy, foggy mountains. And what, what it is, is that whilst most ultra marathons are designed to push people to their limits, this one's actually designed to make the athletes fail. It is, it's a 60-mile fun run or a 100-mile you're-not-going-to-finish-it run. And there's no navigation. You're not allowed GPS. The road is hardly marked out. Well, it's not a road because it's up vertical steeps. Uh, hills and mountains through waterways and it's actually designed for you not to finish it. In fact, you have to apply to go in it and you have to have a certain level of crazy to be accepted. And if you should finish the course and only 15 people ever have, then they tweak it. You know, is that what our Christian life's supposed to be like? Or is it more like Usain Bolt? You know, we do 100 metres in a flash and then it's all over, all the glory, all guts and glory and then we're kind of looking around saying, what was that all about? 
So how do we get our roots down deep into Jesus? How do we continue? So I want to touch on this morning um, a few, first of all, a few four key rhythms that we need to adopt into our life so that we do what Paul is talking about in Colossians and many of his other letters about continuing in Christ. And then I want to touch on two more points from the chapter that we read. The first one I want to talk about, which is a rhythm we need to get into our lives, is prayer. Now, I'm not just talking about the right posture and saying the right things. And whilst those things can be helpful, and there's lots of different ways to pray, what I want to talk about in prayer so that we continue with Christ is more about this whole thing of trying to build friendship with God or intimacy. John Wimber says that you can have the best church in the world and all the flashy things, but like Coast, no. And then, um, but if people don't actually make friends, it won't last. And I actually think that's similar to our relationship with God. It's actually if we don't build that friendship, that intimate connection with God, when the first bump up against our road hits, we'll think God's failed us, you know? We actually have to build this intimacy. C.S. Lewis says, the relationship between God and man is more private and intimate and than any possible relationship between two fellow creatures. So yes, there's lots of different forms of prayer, and that's really important. I'm not neglecting that. But what I want to talk about is this whole thing with prayers, trying to build this friendship with God. And we do that by being very real very authentic, just being you. You know, Psalm 25 says, Lord, I lift up my life to you. That's our posture in prayer. It's saying, Lord, here I am. All my sin, all my insecurities, all my fears, all my successes, all my failures, all my envy, all the crap that lives inside my life, Lord, I give it to you. And that's what prayer is. And you know what? He talks back to us. And we build this relationship. I have to confess that I got hooked up watching Married at First Sight when it was on. So with Married at First Sight, what they do is they get a whole lot of singles together, right? And they, say, they get all these psychoanalysts and all these psychologists, and on paper, they say, oh, this person would match with this one. And the, you know, the science is quite exact, so they say. And so they bring these people to together and they do it pretty much around the wrong way and they get married first and do the relationship first and they chuck money at it and it's all very scientific all these people are matched so well and they go on holidays these flash places but they invariably fail because they haven't got the intimacy and I'm not talking physical intimacy I'm talking that friendship and it's the same with God in prayer we are to develop this intimacy with Jesus um, C.S. Lewis also talks um, about how prayer can be difficult, and he says the painful effort which prayer involves is no proof that we are doing something we were not created to do. Prayer is difficult, but it is what we are created to do. We have been formed in the image of God so that we can have friendship with him, and he has given us friendship, his friendship, and we develop it, so we have to persevere. Now, it may be no surprise to you that when I go home every night to my wonderful husband, Andrew, we don't always talk very deep and meaningful conversations. You know, some of it's quite transactional. Andrew, have you done the washing? <laughs> no. um, you know, that sort of stuff. You know, and, and then with that, 
there is also those heart conversations that happen. And prayer is the same. Don't always expect your prayer life to be the same as yesterday. C.S. Lewis says this other thing. He says, one of the words that God probably doesn't do is encore. Do you know what I mean? Just because you had a great time in prayer today isn't a prerequisite that you will tomorrow because sometimes it goes hot and cold. You just have to push through. You have to persevere. And the trajectory of your friendship gets closer, not every individual experience. So build in a rhythm of prayer. The second rhythm I want to talk about, and Matt um, mentioned it last week, is the Word of God, so the Bible. I am quite surprised how many people don't read the Bible. Um, And I'm not saying it because I'm any great, fantastic person. I'm just saying it because I don't know how I'd survive without it. So I don't know how others do. But um, the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all scripture is inspired by God or breathed by God. There's a spiritual uh, or a supernatural element about engaging with the Bible. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. If that's not saying about how we grow and get our roots down deep into Christ, I don't know what else. Colossians, in the passage we, we read, says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. One way you can avoid that challenge is engage with the Word of God. If you want to know who Jesus is, he reveals himself often by engaging with the Word of God. Now, I get it. A lot of people don't like reading. So don't read it. Maybe listen to it on a podcast. You, know, you don't have to do all the form, this, you know, you don't have to get black ink on white page and go blah, blah, blah. You know, but you kind of somehow got to find a way that you can engage with it. I think that um, scripture, whilst it's really good to study scripture and, you know, and analyze it and have a very intellectual approach about scripture, that needs to be encouraged. I think, but what is, what is most important is that we kind of have to feed on scripture. It's like how we feed on food. It gets into our metabolism. So um, we need to let it metabolize within us. Metabolism is converting the fuel in the food we eat into energy needed to power everything we do from moving to thinking to growing. And I kind of think when we feed on scripture that it helps us learn how to live, to grow, how to move. It's like when Jesus said, when he was around, he said, look, I'm the bread of life. You know, it's kind of consume me in a very weird kind of way. It's like, get it into you. Let it permeate through the whole of your body. It's like nutrients. It's like a good diet. I mean, if I live on Coke and hamburgers, I'm probably not going to be able to do the Barclay Marathon. I probably can't do the Barclay Marathon anyway. I, I can't, but... Um, So, you know, we've got to feed on it and do the study, do the intellectual stuff, but you've mainly got to focus on reading and metabolizing scripture once again with the lens of intimacy with Jesus. The word becomes flesh was another term that you'll read about in the Bible, and one of Jesus's good friends, John, he says it in his book in the New Testament. It's the fourth one in called John, after his name. And he talks about how Jesus came to earth, and he says Jesus became flesh. I think Jesus still becomes flesh. When you open up his word, however you do it, whatever you do, he is still revealing himself 
through his word. It becomes flesh to us. I think Jesus is constantly trying to reveal, put flesh and bones on the circumstances in your life where he's in it. So don't forsake reading the Bible or engaging with it in some way. The next rhythm I want to talk about that allows us to get our roots down deep into Christ and to continue with him is about keeping it real. What do I mean by this? I was challenged by a book I read um, by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy, and he's talking about discipleship, which is very much what the book of Colossians is about. And he says it's really important to keep it real and honest about who you are and what you believe. And he starts this conversation in his book about how people fall away from the Lord. You know, and you know, I've mentioned two examples. I'm sure you've got your own. How people just drift away. You know, and there's famous ones. You know, famous televangelists with sex scandals. And was it Jesse Duplantis's fourth jet of $54 million? I have a problem with that. Anyway, um, he, so Dallas Willard says, well, what happens? How, how do people fall away? And his quote says, we often speak of people not living up to their faith. But the cases in which we say this are not really cases of people behaving otherwise than what they actually believe. There are cases in which genuine beliefs are made obvious by what people do. If you want to know what you believe, look at your life. They are cases in which genuine beliefs are made obvious by what people do. We always live up to our beliefs or down to them as the case may be. What has to be done, instead of trying to drive people to do what we think they're supposed to do, is to be honest about what we and others believe. I don't think we can continue in Christ if we are hiding the issues in our life. There was a situation about three or four years ago that Andrew and I were in that was particularly difficult, and we really needed God to move. We did what we could as far as what decisions we could make, and then it was over to God to do something. And nothing happened, and nothing happened, and months went by and nothing happened, and I was beginning to feel very anxious. In fact, if I was honest about it, I began to doubt that the God who says to me, Lee, I'll I'll supply all your needs, I began to actually think that actually maybe in this case he's not going to do it. It's just the way I felt. And I was sitting up there in the bleachers one Sunday with Andrew, and Matt came up to us and said, oh, how are you guys doing? And I wasn't doing particularly well, and I just remember for the first time that I could remember, rather than quoting all the scriptures I knew, you know, trust in the Lord, he would, I I mean, I know all this stuff, but I actually just said, I've got doubt. And Matt, in his grace, you know, he didn't say, oh, well, yeah, in the scriptures it says, you know, you, don't get what, you can't please God without faith and all this. He just said, yeah, sometimes we do have doubt. See, we really are quite, and I just want to say that that situation, amazingly, through God's amazing engineering, turned itself around. But it was nothing that I could have done. But I think some of the biggest growth wasn't in my ability to have faith, was in my ability to be honest that I had doubt. 
And I just think there are things in our lives that we can easily paint over and gloss over because we know the right words to say, we know the right attitudes we're supposed to have, but sometimes growth happens by just being honest. It could be sin, it could be insecurity, it could be a number of things. So we can't dodge our serious issues. If we really are going to continue with Christ, we're going to have to face up to ourselves with God's grace. And His mercy is always available to us. God is not into the superficial. He doesn't care what you say you believe. He wants to know what's going on in here. Because you can't go forward if you're not honest about what's going on. So don't just say things to impress each other about your faith. It's not impressive. God wants to know what's going on. Because he can't actually grow you from a place you don't accept that you're at. So it's a rhythm of being honest. And one way to do that is that this comes into my last rhythm is that we actually need to connect meaningfully. Because when I first became a Christian, I just had a very two-dimensional focus on God. It was me and him, and I just worried about that. You guys get on with yourselves, I don't care, you know. It was, but what I've realized as you read the Bible is that often the context is about a community of faith. We grow together. And Colossians says that, I better get a bit of Colossians in here, so I'm speaking on it. For he holds the whole body together with its joints and ligaments, and it grows as God nourishes it. Sees the growth here as actually corporate growth. Actually, what's going on in your life is important to me. And if we don't meaningfully connect, I actually doubt that we will go as far as we can. So I'm not saying you have to go to a life group whilst they're good. I have to say that, but they are good. Um, and it might, uh, 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 but, you know, you've got to find somehow to connect with people of faith because a lot of the things like learning how to engage with the word of God, learning how to pray, learning how to be honest, which takes a lot of vulnerability and honesty, happens in the context of community. Dallas Willard's book, which continually just comes up and smacks me in the face with challenges, he says, your system is perfectly designed to produce the result you are getting. If you're looking at your life and wondering why maybe it's not growing, your relationship with Jesus isn't happening, what systems do you have in place? I'm not talking about the mechanics. I'm talking about rhythms that actually just support growth. Maybe you need to foster a relationship of prayer and build that intimacy with Jesus, engaging with the Bible having opportunities just to bear your heart to the Lord and say, actually, Lord, I'm full of doubt or I'm full of this or that. And we can do that in the context of connecting. So the next two points I just want to make, just move on from the whole rhythm side of things. But there's this really curious part in um, Colossians 2 that we've just got to get into to a point. And it talks about when he says that he cuts away the sinful nature. The that this word circumcision, great word. You're flinching in your seats, guys. <laughs> um, so um, what... <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Um, when, I, when I became to faith, right, I used to think I'm saved. So I prayed this really important prayer. John and I were talking about repentance the other day, and it's a word we don't talk about much, but it was a conversation or a prayer I had with Jesus, and it said, Lord, I actually see that you are God, and actually I need to turn my life around and follow you. 
I'm no longer going to be following my way. I'm no longer the captain of my ship, so to speak. I actually want to follow you, and I place my trust in you. It's a prayer of repentance. But I thought it was a once-over nicely. You know, I'm in. It's like buying a ticket to watch France be whipped by the All Blacks. You know, I'm in. I'm saved. But actually, I've come to realize that maybe it's more of a continuum. It's more of a thing of, I am saved. Yes, that's true, and that prayer, I think, was you know, very vital in that. But I'm also being saved, and I will be saved. I actually learned that from theology stuff, but I actually, it's, it's true. I think it's very true. And so then this passage in Scripture in Colossians starts talking about the circumcision. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. Now, just to have a little look at circumcision, because I know you're really interested in it, is that it happened about the time of Abraham. Abraham was in the, if you want to find out about Abraham, key guy he was, and he's found in the book of Genesis. If you can't find it, turn to the first book, you're in. It's Genesis. And and Abraham was very interesting because God just kind of like picked him out of the crowd. And it was like he says, actually, with you and your descendants, I'm going to build a community of faith, a special family that we're going to be part of together. And this is such an important family that I'm going to give you membership into God's family, and we're going to sign this off. And there was a cutting of the flesh in a very sensitive part of the male anatomy. So um, that was circumcision. But it gets mentioned in the New Testament because it actually has a greater meaning. It's talking about the continual working of the Spirit of God and cutting off the stuff in our life that should be dead, that fights against us being alive in Christ. And it's probably painful at times. But that's what it's like to belong to God. And the process continues. C.S. Lewis, and if you want to read a challenging book, other than Dallas Willard, Try Mere Christianity. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. And um, he talks about the cutting away of the sinful nature. He doesn't use that term, but he says it's a continual process. And he talks about that we just can't be happy with that one prayer. You know, Lord, I give my life to you. It's a constant attitude of repentance, turning your life and yielding your life over to Jesus because he's turning us into the same thing as himself. Isn't that beautiful? That's the transformation that's going on. And I know from my life that sometimes I've got issues that God wants to clear up and I just, let him, I just want him to prune around the periphery, you know, like a, like a gardener, you know. Oh, we'll just take off a few branches here and there. But guess what? Jesus wants the whole tree. He doesn't want to do a little bit of trimming to make you look a little bit like him. He wants you to be him. So our sinful nature has to be extracted. He doesn't crown the tooth. He pulls it out. And it's a constant posture of our hearts and saying, well, here I am, God. I yield myself to you. It's being open for repentance to be an attitude of your heart, not just back 18 years ago or 20 years ago. And if you want to know how to live in the spirit, it's by allowing him to cut off the flesh. And there's no two ways around it. You can't do Christianity at all 
if you don't let the Spirit of God do this in our lives. We're fooling ourselves. And a lot of us want to go on and we'll give God a bit of this and a bit of that. We'll do all the moral things. You know, we'll give and we'll dress right and we won't swear. Mind you, some of that still comes out of me when I, <laughs> when the tomatoes fall out the fridge one by one. You know, so, um, you know, it's not about just being right. It's about us having an attitude of, here I am, Jesus, you've got me. And we cannot continue in Christ and let our roots go down deep into him like Colossians is talking about if we don't allow the Spirit of God to do this in us because we can't grow. And he's got us to, he, he's trying to make us into the same thing as himself. And he can't do it with Lee all over, splattered around the place because I'm very much not like him. So we start off well, but do we stay on this course? I think for many of us, we, this is C.S. Lewis's quote. He says, I think for many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome a few sins that were a nuisance, we are inclined to feel, though we wouldn't put it in words because we're probably far too polite for this, that we are now good enough. He has done all we wanted him to do. And we would be obliged if he would now just leave us alone. But the question is not what he intended ourselves to be, but what he has intended us to be. I often think I approach God with a yeah, nah sort of approach. Yeah, God, I want to give myself to you, but no, actually, I want to go this way. And we need to continue to say, well, God, you're God. May your spirit work in us. constant sinner's prayer that we pray at the beginning. Actually, it's your way. The last point I want to touch on is uh, Colossians mentions it at the end. Um, he talks about legalism. It says, why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? When I became a Christian with that friend I told you about, right at the beginning, I didn't know a lot about Christian stuff. And um, I went to an Easter camp down in Waikanae. It was fabulous. I, hadn't, I didn't have the words, to, the right language around it, but God did something. And um, I got prayed for, and I felt this presence of God come on me. And then this language came out of my mouth, and I thought, Crikey, what the heck is that? I was speaking in tongues. I didn't know, but I, I learned that's what it was. Apparently I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and now I can speak in tongues, okay? So don't ask me. I didn't know. But um, it was just, do you know what it was? It was just God's presence coming on me. It's not a big, well, it is a big deal, but it's nothing to get tied up in knots about. But I, t I didn't know rules. So I went home to my, my church, which really wasn't my church, but it was one I kind of went to, and it was a very conservative church. And I didn't know that these things were wrong, apparently, but I knocked on the door of the pastor, right? And I had to call him pastor because those were the rules. And, um, and I knocked on the door and I went, Pastor, Pastor, I became a Christian. And you know, he wasn't the guy lend himself to doing a high five because he had a suit and tie on. But you know, it was like, oh, good. And, and then I said, and then I said, wow, and then I, I, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I can speak in tongues. And it was like, oh my gosh. I could have poured cold water on him. His face kind of drained of color. And I realized, man, there's rules to this stuff. I'm not allowed to do that. You know, and then I learned, oh, Lee, you've got to tithe. Okay. 
figure out what 10% was. And then, um, Lee, you've got to pray. There's no talk about intimacy. It was just like you've got to pray, and these are a few prayers. You've got to read your Bible, because that's what you do. And it was all these rules. I learnt that I can't dress the way I want. I also learnt that I couldn't listen to the music I liked. I learnt that I had to be compliant and polite. And then I learnt that women don't have a voice. And I thought, man, it's the Barclay Marathon all over again. All these rules of a race I can't actually get to because it's so damn complicated and it's so hard. Galatians 5 says, If you are trying to make yourself right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. It can't be any plainer than that. You have fallen away from God's grace. What, by keeping the law? Yes, by keeping the law. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. See, it comes from Him. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, he expands on this thought by quoting 1 Corinthians 13. So if you're not familiar with any passages in the scripture, that doesn't matter, but you may have heard this one because it's in the movies when there's a wedding scene and you often hear it at weddings, maybe even in funerals or any events, and it goes a bit like this. It says, love is patient, love is kind. Doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's long-suffering. And then there's the Sermon on the Mount, or Jesus' main message he gave, and he talks about the meek inherits the earth. So I think, oh, crikey, I better be meek, you know. And then it was like, and then, you know, if your enemy hits you on one side of the cheek, you've got to give him the other. I go, oh, I could struggle with that. And we look at all this stuff and we think, how am I going to do it? But, you know, we don't actually have to do it. Do you know who does it? Love does it. And our job is to pursue love. It's not supposed to be hard, but it takes everything you've got. We pursue Jesus. He loves us. He transforms us organically from the inside out. Not outside in. Not by wearing the right clothes and not by not listening to Queen that I wanted to listen to when I was 16. You know? I don't think he gave toss about Queen. As long as you didn't play it backwards, eh, mate? <laughs> so, um, so it's all about actually him trying to transform us from the inside out. It's organic. And so and I think that's what Paul is trying to get across to the Colossians because in the Colossian, in the church in Colossae, they had all the, he, the Jews coming in trying to say, you've got to do all our rules if you're going to be a Christian. And so Jesus was, so Paul is saying, no, pursue love. C.S. Lewis says it's more about painting a portrait than obeying a set of rules. So that is my thoughts on Colossians.